Well, last week, we asked the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And we brought about the idea of so many people claiming to know Jesus. He asked so many people, are you a Christian? Well, of course I am. And uh, we talked about the idea that not everybody who says they're a Christian is actually a Christian. Uh, to some, as we said, simply means they believe in a higher power and a greater being that's somewhere nebulously out there. That doesn't make you a Christian, just because you may believe that there is a higher power. Uh, to some, it speaks of organized religion. And let me just say, religion doesn't save anybody. There are a lot of people in this world who have a religion. They practice a religion. They're part of a denomination, but they're no closer to spending eternity in heaven because of it. To some, it refers to the habit or practice of maybe attending church. Well, I go to church, so that makes me a Christian. News alert, it doesn't. Although a lot of people like to think that. Uh, to some, it's a numerous idea of far-fetched, realistic ideas that make up their own definition of what it means to be a Christian. And that doesn't work either. And to some, it refers to a commitment of one's faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's not a religion, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about that just for a moment in a relationship. And you've heard me say this a dozen times, and you can probably give the illustration yourself now, but I'm going to do it again just for reiteration. We say oftentimes the greatest factor in any relationship is what? Communication. And so the greatest factor of communication is both the giving and receiving of information. And we jokingly say oftentimes when the wife goes, boo, 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 and the husband goes away, has communication taken place? No. Even though the wife says, I told you we were going to do such and such on this day. I never heard it. That's because you were too busy. When she was going like this, you were kind of like going, and out of the picture. So for communication to take place, there has to be both a giving and receiving of information. Only when there is both a giving and a receiving can communication take place. So let's put that into the process of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if communication is the key, and I say I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what must there be? Giving and receiving of information. Jesus speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word. We speak back to him through prayer. Then there's both a giving and receiving of information. So let me ask this question once again based off what we know. If a husband and wife or a parent and a child, or an employer and employee has very little communication, how strong is that relationship? Pretty weak, isn't it? I mean, if there's not communication going back and forth between anybody in any type of relationship, the relationship is pretty weak. But when the relationship is stronger, it's because the communication is greater. When I talk with my Heavenly Father and He talks to me, only then can we have a strong relationship. Now, let's take this into the concept of what we're going to talk about today. So, we talked about just a little bit in, re in, in review of last week, that oftentimes the relationship is not what it needs to be because we don't have our love where it needs to be. Oftentimes we're like Demas. Demas hath forsaken me having loved what? The present world. Sometimes we love the things of the world more than we love the things of God. As I jokingly said last week, with all seriousness. So that's an oxymoron. Yes, it is. I think everybody should have a pickup. I love pickups. I think everybody should own a pickup, right? I mean, those of you that like trucks, right, right. And I can now attest that 
Chevys are better than Dodges because I own a Dodge and I'd rather have a Chevy. But the reality is, what? We invest our time, our resources, our money into what is important to us. And if I like trucks, well, then I'm going to invest in a truck. If I like a house, I'm going to invest into a house. If I like this hobby, I'm going to invest into that hobby. We put our time, attention, and focus into the things that matter to us. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it's invested into the things of the world more than the things of God. And First John reminded us that we're not to love the things of this world. He says, all that is in this world, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the stark reality of what is in this world, according to verse 17, is what? The world will pass away. And so we can invest in certain things, but the bottom line is there's going to be no return. I don't know about you, but I've never had a truck that got better over the years. As much as I like trucks, the best truck I ever had probably, yeah, it's rusted out and gone today. Because why? Things degenerate. Things deteriorate. Nothing gets better. The things of this world are not going to get better. doesn't matter whether it's politics, whether it's material wealth. It doesn't matter. The things of this world will eventually pass away. So we need to invest in things that are eternal. The word of God and souls of men. So, kind of ended this service last week with the idea of the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Or, I'm sorry, uh, um, Come Thou Fount. And that one phrase, prone to wander away from the God we love. We often say we love God, but why do we wander from him? Because our affection is not where it needs to be. And so, over the past week, and I'm sorry, Nick, I changed the message direction again. Um, I've had several questions. Well, how do you know God is telling you to do this? How do you know the Spirit is leading you this way? I, let me just say, I don't have all the answers to this. I believe God's Word speaks so clearly on some of these things. But today I'd like to continue on the subject of following Jesus, but I'd like to focus on the aspect of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So as we begin today, I would like to lay a bit of a foundation from God's Word concerning the Holy Spirit, as I believe there are some misconceptions, misunderstandings, misinterpretations regarding the Holy Spirit. So I want to begin with a couple fundamental, a fundamental questions regarding the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the Word of God tell us about the Holy Spirit? Not what do I think about the Holy Spirit, because if I were to ask everybody in this room, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? Everyone's going to give you an answer. But what we think doesn't really matter unless it's based and rooted in God's Word. To some people, it's a feeling. It's a feeling I get. Or this overwhelming, whoo, when you're in the presence of certain people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. The bottom line is there are misconceptions, there are misunderstandings, there are misinterpretations regarding the Holy Spirit. But what does the Bible say? So I want us to just lay a little bit of a foundation this morning. We'll probably finish half of it next week. But I want us to think about several verses. And the first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
who you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. The bottom line is, he lays it out in verse 19, he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The bottom line is that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, in your body. And therefore, he is with you. I often pray, as Lord, as I go about my day, would you open up doors of opportunity? Anybody pray like that? Lord, as I go, that the Spirit would empower me, that the Spirit would fill me, that the Spirit would open up opportunities that I wouldn't normally open in and of myself. Because I want the Holy Spirit, who is with me, to do those things for me. I would rather operate out of the strength of the Holy Spirit than my own strength, right? I and myself am weak. I and my flesh will do things that I should not do. But when I have the presence of the Holy Spirit with me, and I'm relating to that, then I have the power to do what I've been called to do. Because God's Word tells us, and through Paul, it says, when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Because of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And at the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit took residence in you. No matter where you go, guess who goes with you? Anybody ever seen that old plaque around the dinner table that says Jesus is a, or the God is the un, unrequested guest at every meal, or however that goes? He's the un, unrequested guest, unspoken guest at every meal. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there with you. If you're a believer, you know Jesus Christ. He's in resonance with you. And then he says, in the second part of the verse, for you are bought at a price. What was the price? Jesus Christ's blood on the cross of Calvary. That's not just a story. It's not a folklore. It's not a, a legend. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sins. And when he did that and we placed our faith and trust in him, he took up residence with him. So therefore, he says, you're not no longer your own. You don't have the freedom. You don't have the right. You don't have the prerogative to make your own decisions anymore. God, through the Holy Spirit, will direct you if you'll let him. And then he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? He's there with you. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says this, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Wait a minute. You mean everywhere I go, everything I do, the Holy Spirit is there with me, right? Because He lives within me. He says, don't grieve them. How much of the world thinks that I can do whatever I want if I can get, just get away with it? I mean, I mean what, what, what's it going to hurt if I do this? No one else will know. I mean, what's it going to hurt if I do this? I mean, it ain't going to bother him anyway. It does bother the Holy Spirit because he lives within us. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who sealed you into the day of redemption. There is somebody that we are to please, even though it may not be a man. It's God. And then Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's a great question. What's the answer to that? Nowhere. If you're a child of God, there's no place you can go to hide from the presence of God. There is nothing you can hide. Hebrews tells us very clearly, all things are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. There is nothing you can do as a child of God to hide anything in your life from God. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your children. You can hide it from other people around you. But you can never hide any sin from God. 
Because the Holy Spirit is everywhere you go if you're a child of God. Not to mention that God's presence is everywhere. Talk about ultimate accountability. There's nothing you can do that God doesn't know about. You can hide it from all mankind, but you cannot hide it from God. So there's just a couple things that the Holy Spirit indwells us as his children. So, the question came up several times this week. How do I know when the Spirit is specifically telling me to do something? Let me give you a couple illustrations that I've shared with you in the past. A few weeks ago, I told you about a, a friend of mine named Kenny, uh, who was struggling with some circumstances in his, in, his, in his home, and God just kept laying it on my heart to call him. He kept bringing it to, memory, to my memory. And so as I've done for many years now, if God lays a person's name on my mind, I'll just take a moment and pray. I, I don't know why else would that person's name come into my mind. I don't know. So I've made it a practice that over the years, that if a name comes to my mind, it's there for a reason. God must want me to pray for him. So I've always done that. For the last 10, 12 years, if a name comes to my mind, I'll just stop and pray for him. But over the last couple years, year and a half, I've been taking it a step further. Rather than just praying for them, let me get a hold of them and see what's going on. Why are they on my mind? So I, I shared the example here a few weeks ago. Kenny's been on my mind quite a bit. And I kept praying for him and praying for him. So I picked up my phone. I tried calling him. That number was no longer working. I called a second number. It was no longer working. And then I got a hold of a third one, third number, and I called him, and he answered. And I said, Kenny, you've been on my mind quite a bit lately. And uh, he goes, well, there's probably good reason for that. And I said, well, what's going on? And he began to share what's going on in his family. And I said, you know what? That's why God had him come to my mind. And he says, I want you to pray for me. I need you to be praying for me. He goes, I need God to work right now, right now. Well, how, somebody, well, how did you know to do that? I don't know. I have no idea. I just kind of put two and two together that if God's telling you, laying this person's name on your mind, he's probably putting it there for a reason. What are you going to do with it? A couple weeks ago, God laid out my heart to go visit another friend. And I said, I don't want to go over there, as I shared. I don't want to go over there. Well, why not? Well, I, I just don't care for the person. But God is saying, go over there. I, I don't want to go over there. You need to go over there. I don't want to go over there. I don't want to talk with them. So I go over there. Car is not in the parking lot. I'm like, yes. He's not there. I don't have to talk with him. God's saying, go inside. <laughs> He's not here. His car's gone. Go inside. <sighs> All right. Went inside. He's not there. Awesome. And I turn around and then I hear, hey, Ken. It's his wife. Talk to his wife and she immediately breaks down. I said, well, God's laid your husband on my heart. I, need to be, been, I just want you to know I've been praying for him. And she goes, thank you, appreciate it. And went on and told me what has been going on. There was a reason why God put his name on my heart and in my mind. Because there's usually something more to the story than just a name that pops in your head. Well, how did you know you're supposed to do that? I don't know. If I were to give you the, the process ABC, I, I don't have it. I just know that God must have put the name in my mind. He wanted me to respond to that name, and so I did. And what I found in doing these things is that there's a purpose and a reason why God put it there. So what do we do with those things? What do we do when God says, hey, so-and-so's in your mind? What do you do with it? 
Well, you have a choice. You can do absolutely nothing with it, or you can take a moment and pray for them, and then try to contact them and see why God's placed them on your mind. And you know what I found oftentimes too? People say, oh, I'm fine. And you know good and well they're not fine. But that's okay. What's it hurt to pray for people? How do I know the Spirit's leading? I'm telling you, probably the most obvious time that I've ever felt the Holy Spirit telling me to do something was when I was driving down Highway 52 in New Palestine, Indiana. I'm flying down at 60 mile an hour down the highway. Turn into the church. I ain't turning into the church. Turn into the church. I ain't turning into the church. Turn into the church. I'm not going to. I don't even know anybody there. Mm-hmm. Turn into the church now. I'm not turning into the church. I don't know anybody there. I have no reason to go there. I'm not going there. Turn into the church. So 60 mile an hour, I made a hard left turn to go screaming into the church parking lot. And then it's like, it hits me. It's like, why are you arguing with me? And I'm like looking around. Is there somebody else in this vehicle? It was just like, it was that clear. And I walk into the church. It's Pastor Hubert that was here. And uh, I walk into the office and I'm like, what am I doing here? Other than God said, go in there. Holy Spirit said, go in there. So I go in there. This is weird to me. So I'm not that guy that has these audible conversations with the Holy Spirit. I'm not that person. That's other people. But God said, go in there. Walk in there. Secretary, can I help you? In my mind, I'm thinking, no. <laughs> she goes, it's, but I was polite, and I said, is Pastor around? I mean, who else was I going to ask for? <laughs> Pastor around. Well, he's with somebody, but they're the, he's, he'll be free shortly. She goes, by the way, where are you from? I said, oh, I live here. I just live down the road. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, what church? Water's Edge. Oh, we prayed for you last night. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I didn't say that, but in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. I don't even know these people. A couple seconds later, pastor comes out, and she says, hey, this gentleman would like to speak with you. Oh, come on back. And he's like, well, what can I do for you? And in my mind, I'm like, nothing. Don't want nothing. Don't need nothing. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, it just hits me. Tell him why you're here. I said, well, pastor, I just feel like God told me to come in. And he just goes, good. He goes, well, where are you from? I said, I live down around the corner. He goes, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, where at? I watched it. Oh, we prayed for you last night. Right. Is this coincidence? No. So I began to tell him, like, well, I'm driving down Highway 52. The Spirit's saying, go in here. I don't want to go in here. So I just screamed into your parking lot about 60 miles an hour, and here I am. And he just started laughing. He goes, well, have a seat. Let's chit-chat. Got to talking with him, became a close friend, and began to help our church and our ministry move forward. Why? Because the Holy Spirit spoke, and I responded. Over the next six and a half years, he supported our church plant at $500 a month and opened up his church to us to use his facility anytime we wanted, gave us resources that I can't even put a dollar amount on, And what if I would have just said, that's crazy. I'm just going to drive right on past the church. Right on past, not respond to what God told me to do. What 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 a boatload of missed blessings I would have inherited. 
there are just times when God says to do something. And you know what? I don't think I'm alone in that. But there's a lot of reasons why we don't respond to those things. First of all, we think it's weird sometimes. I'm telling you, I thought somebody was in my backseat of my vehicle telling me to do something. I was looking for them. It was just that weird circumstance where a still small voice was saying, go, go. So I did. How often does God, through the Holy Spirit, tell us to do something and we just put it off? And we miss the blessings. We miss the opportunities to bless others. We miss the opportunity for God to do something because we just don't like to respond to those things. Well, that's not us. How do I know specifically when God is telling me to do something, when the Holy Spirit is prompting me? I was looking at some verses of Scripture this week, last night. Acts 8.29 says, The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. What? What what if Philip said, ah, I ain't doing that. Don't you know who that is? (laughs) Next person. God miraculously used Philip in that moment and responded. Why? Because the Holy Spirit told him to do it. How do I know? Hold on. Acts 16, 6 and 7. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Well, I want to go here, and the Spirit's saying, no. Well, why can't I go there? I want to go there. Well, he's not telling you to go there. He wants you to go over here. Well, so, I mean, how, how do you know it's not just indigestion? That's just a figment of your imagination. That, that just, that's just crazy. I can do whatever I want. I can go where I want. Have you ever had that moment when you just feel like, Spirit is saying, don't do that. And you do it anyway. And you realize what a mistake it was. I mean, there are times that we want so desperately for something to happen. I mean, this circumstance has to take place. And God is not opening the door. But bless God, we got a big foot and we got a lot of weight behind our shoulder. And we're going to push it open, kick it open, do whatever we can. Because I'm going through that door one way or the other. And the Spirit is saying, don't do it. I think we've all been in circumstances like that. Or on the other hand, we just say no. Go this way. No, I don't want to go that way. Going this way. Acts 20, 22. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I'll encounter there. How do you know these people were just like, not wanting to go on a day trip somewhere? Yeah, because they just wanted to get three days journey into the wilderness and into the desert and just kind of get their feet dirty just to do something. No, it's the Holy Spirit leading them and guiding them and telling them where to go. Even Jesus in Luke 4, verse 1, Then Jesus left Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's listening to the Spirit's leading him. How often is the Spirit reminding us to do something? Or to not do something. How do I not know it's just my own thoughts? How, how do I know it's not just my own desires coming out? Or my own selfishness saying, I won't do this or won't do that. How do I know when the Holy Spirit is leading? First of all, bottom line is this. If you're a child of God, once again, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Is that not awesome? 
Is that not powerful? For part of today and next week, I want us to start thinking about the Holy Spirit's involvement in our life. So if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 8 for a few moments. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at the first several verses. And we're not going to answer the full question this morning, but this morning and into next week we're going to talk about the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our life. On some of your Bibles it may something say something to the effect of the life-giving Spirit or the Spirit of God in you or something along that line. But in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, if you would follow along as I read the verse, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's stop right there just for a moment. What's he saying? When the Holy Spirit indwells us, there is a change that takes place. There is therefore now no condemnation. What's in the past is in the past, and what's now is now, right? I don't have to live in the worry, the guilt, the past, uh, the, everything that's been done before Jesus Christ, that's in the past. It's over. I'm a new creation in Christ, right? There's no, therefore now no condemnation, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set you free from the law of sin. And that's what he began to tell us in the book of John. Is that he says, I am come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly. He says, we have freedom in Christ. But here's the deal. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Stop right there just for a moment. We have the Holy Spirit living within us that has the ability to direct our lives in a way that would bring glory to God or glory to self. We have that Holy Spirit living within us, right? And every day there's choices to make. And it's just that clear that it is a choice. Now, I've used this illustration before, but here's my pen. Nice little gold pen. Just picked this up the other day at Staples. It's gold, it was on clearance, nailed it. And anybody that knows me knows I'm a pen freak. I love nice pens. But here's my pen. Nice gel, extra fine point, needle point, point three. Love this pen. And I'm going to put this pen right there. You can look at it. Can't touch it, but you can look at it. That's my pen. It's my pen, I set it there. It's right there. It's where I wanted it. Right there. It's my pen. It's a choice I made. You say, well, it's silly. Yeah, it's really silly. It's my pen. I put it there. Really kind of silly. But see, that's the way choices work. Every day is a choice. I, as it says there in verse 5, very clearly, he says this. For those who live according to the flesh, what's it say? have their minds set on the things of the flesh. So if I want to live in the flesh and let my flesh control my actions, my reactions, my thoughts, my desires, my wants, fill in the blank. If I want my flesh to control, guess what I, all I have to do is put my mind on it. I set my mind on the things of the flesh. 
If my desire in life is to get rich, well, bless God, I can work on my mind and I'm going to do everything it takes within my mind to get rich or to get this or to do that or to go here. It's a daily choice of where I set my mind and my motives and my flesh to accomplish what I want to accomplish. But in the same way, it says in the same verse, but those who live according to the Spirit, now remember, we have the Spirit living within us, and I can either let the Spirit guide me and direct me, or I cannot. But if I'm going to let the Spirit lead me and guide me, that means I have to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. What's it tell me? It's a choice daily. Every day is a choice. I can either respond in the flesh and in selfishness and do the things that please me, or I can set my mind on the things of God and allow the Spirit who lives within me to guide and direct me and to live according to Him. It's a choice. There are times in our life we want to blame everything on everybody else. This didn't go right because of this. This didn't happen because of this. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of things in life I cannot control. But you know what I can control? My reaction to those things. I can't control whether somebody else is a jerk. I can't control them. I'd like to. <laughs> and so would you. I'd like to control those circumstances. But I can't. People are people, and it don't matter whether it's here or in Timbuktu. People are people. I can't respond, or I can't control how they respond, but I have to control how I respond. How do I respond correctly? By setting my mind on the things of the Spirit and letting God work through me, letting the Spirit lead through me. So he says every day it's a choice. You can either set your mind on the things of the flesh and live according to the flesh, or you can set your mind on the things of the Spirit and live according to the Spirit. Both are opportunities and, and, and choices to make. And it's your choice. For the child of God, you ought to be choosing the spirit over the flesh. And God's word, by the way, says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the ability. Do you have the desire? Then he goes on, verse 6. It says, now the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set of the spirit is life and peace. Wait a minute. One choice leads to peace, and one choice leads to death. Which one would you rather have? I'd rather have peace. Because once again, put it into the circumstances of life. Things I can't control. Things that I would like to control, but I just, I just can't. So therefore, I'm surrendering it to God, and say, let God deal with it. And I can have peace through it. Or I can, in the flesh, try to manipulate, figure it out, control it, and ultimately it's just going to cause more destruction. Then he goes on, verse 7. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot what? Say it. Please, God. So ultimately, I have a choice to make. I can set my mind on the things of the flesh, knowing that it will cause distance between me and God, 
or set it on the spirit, knowing that it's going to lead to peace. But if I choose this way, it's hostility towards God, and I cannot please him. Over here, I can. So what is it that we live for? Pleasing self or pleasing God? That's the choice. Verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Oh, wait a minute. He just threw a little, little monk wrench in the gears here. So if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to the Father. So there's another complication here we've got to deal with. Do I know Jesus? Do I have a relationship with him? So now I'm just all of a sudden without Jesus. I don't have the spirit within me. I'm in the flesh. Now I'm hostility towards God and cannot please him. So now there's another choice to make. Do I want to accept Jesus Christ or continue in the flesh apart from him? Then he goes on. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. There's the reward. Because everything that happens in this life is temporary. Isn't that awesome? Everything in this life is temporary. As I said, nothing gets better over time. Our vehicles don't get better. Our houses don't get better. Businesses that you thought would never go under, go under, like Walmart just shutting down 60 stores like that, or Sam's Club. Things happen, right? I found in this world, nothing is certain. Nothing is guaranteed. But in Jesus Christ, we have something to look forward to. We have something that we can set our affections on. In fact, Colossians tells us that set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Why? Because this earth is going to pass away. So the first aspect I want to look at today is the Holy Spirit in you is a choice. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, His Spirit lives within you. And then you have an opportunity daily to live for Him or to live for yourself. And neither is a choice that produces its own consequences. Living in the flesh being led of my own will rather than God's, I can't please him. But setting my mind on the things of the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit's leading, produces blessing and peace. Knowing that everything that we can look face in this life is temporary. And we look forward to what is to come. So he says, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's God, lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. God's Word says, And he hath he quickened, and other made alive in him. We can have life, but the only true life comes from him, not ourselves. Who do we want to live for? Who are we going to try to please? Because pleasing ourselves will ultimately fail. We have to please him who made us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today. And Lord, for the opportunity of it to speak to our hearts. And Lord, to change us. 
So, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, do that work in our life that, Lord, that only you can do. But, Lord, we do know that it comes down to a choice daily of how we're going to live. Lord, whether to live in the flesh and to fulfill its desires or to live in the Spirit and, and to live for you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make the right choice, knowing that each choice has its own consequences. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you again today. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for